Today we're in Colossians chapter 3, and if you're new here to Calvary Chapel, all we do on Sunday mornings is we teach verse by verse the entire New Testament. So we're working our way through the New Testament here, and we're up to Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to look at in Colossians chapter 3 today, uh, verses 1 through 17, we're going to look at uh, how to live a successful Christian life. You know what God wants you to live a successful Christian life? God wants you to win. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, Paul lays it out. He says, run this race, this spiritual race you're in, run this race in such a way that you may what? Win. We want you to win. God doesn't want you to be a victim of the devil. He wants, to be a, he wants you to be a victor over the devil. And we're told we can. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you know anything about Pastor John, I'm, I like to win. I like to win in golf. I like to win in sports. I like to win. But you know what I really like to win in? I like to win against the devil. I like to win in the battles that we face, all of us face on a daily basis. And so I'm going to give you tools. I'm going to give you three principles today on how you could win, how you can win spiritually. And then I'm going to give you four tools that will help you, will be in your toolbox that will help you win. And again, Jesus wants you to win spiritually. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy it, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jeremiah 29, 11, the promise is that God, the, God's plans for you are not for calamity, but for welfare, to give you what? A future and a hope. And so we're going to see today, we're going to see some principles and then some tools that will help you win spiritually. I like Joshua 1, 8, talking about success also. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be, may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have what? Success. There it is right there. And so God wants you to be successful in this Christian race. God wants you to win. But you've got to apply the principles we're looking at today if you're going to be a successful Christian. Very important stuff today. And, and the scripture we're looking at today, oh man, it's high ground. It's the kind of scripture that you should have underlined, starred, and memorized as a Christian because it's rich, rich scripture today on how to live a successful Christian life. So church, you ready to get into it? Amen? All right, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. All right, here we go. All right, Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Interesting. Uh, we're raised up with Christ. We've been resurrected spiritually. And Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and now he's raised us up to be with him. And notice what we're supposed to do, verse 2. Because we're raised up with Christ, we're supposed to set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. Why? Because Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he says this, verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Now when does that happen? Rapture. When Christ is revealed the rapture, 1 John 3, 2 tells us we're going to see him in his appearance at the rapture. We're going to see him face to face. And then we too, we're going to be like him. 
perfectly conformed in his image at the rapture. And the sin is going to be away. The Satan's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. And we are going to, we are going to be in our resurrected state also. But in the meantime, look what he tells us we're supposed to do. We're, go back to our verses. We're supposed to set our mind on things above. And we're supposed to be seeking the things of eternity and spiritual things. That's important. First principle, if we're going to win spiritually, we've got to set our minds on the things above and not on this earth. Why? Because this world is characterized by filthiness and sin. It's a cursed world. And if we're going to live a successful Christian life, we have to revamp our minds. We have to revamp our minds not to be focused on all that stuff of this world, but on eternity. Didn't Jesus say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then what? All these things will be added unto you. We're to be people that are seeking things of the kingdom. Why? Because this world is not our home. Heaven is. Didn't we learn that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20? Do you remember that verse? It said this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because that's where our home, eternity home is, that's where we need to be seeking, the things above. Now question, how do you keep your mind set on things above? How do you keep seeking the things above? Two things, worship and the word. Worship and the word. And if we want to be people that are seeking the things above, we need to be people of worship because God's spirit inhabits the praises of our people. And and what happens is as you're worshiping, as you're a person of worship, what happens is you get refocused, recalibrated. By the way, that's one reason why church is so important. What do we do here? We seek the things above. We set our minds on the things, not of this earth, but as we worship him, we're ushered into his throne room and we have the right mindset then. I call it recalibrating. Every time you come to church and worship, you should get recalibrated. Recalibrated back to having a mind set in heaven instead of on this earth, right? People of worship. We'll look at that a little bit later in the scripture too, how we can do that. But worship, very important. As you're a person of worship, worship. It will help you. It will help you keep your mind in heaven, but also the Word. We need to be people of the Word because the Bible is very clear that this book right here is to help us win. This is the sword of the Spirit. And this book, as you study this book, as you meditate in this book, as you read this book, as you hear this book, as you memorize this book, what happens is, is you get your mind in heaven. And it actually says in Ephesians 5.26, you're washed by the water of the word. And again, we need this renewal that comes in our lives through the word of God. Very important. People of the word, people of worship, it will keep our hearts and our heads in heaven. Amen? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, too. Uh, we could do this more than just church, too, church. We need to be people of the word and worship on a daily basis. Word, we need to, we need to be like the blessed man in, in Psalm 1, 2, and 3. It says, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law day and night. And then he's going to be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. His leaf will not wither. And, uh, and whatever he does, it's going to prosper. See that picture? As you're a person that starts your day and ends your day in the Word, day and night, you're going to be prosperous. You're going to have fruit in your life. Your leaf is not going to wither. And so I think every, every Christian should be having the Word, not just when they come to church, but we should be in the Word. We should be in the Word on a daily basis also. Also with worship. 
We need to get not just worship on Sundays. We need to worship all week long. I think, I think we should be people that worship in our cars. We should be people that worship in our homes. You know, Heidi uh, went for a week this last week to Orange City, Iowa, back to her home on Northwest Iowa. And she's a, I tell you, she's a road warrior. She rented an F-150 truck, typical farm girl from Iowa. She rented a truck, drove all the way from here to Northwest Iowa to pick up stuff from her mom because her mom's moved to a retirement home and she's giving stuff away to, to all the kids. And then she goes from, from here all the way 20-some hours to Northwest Iowa, picks up all the stuff from her mom, helped her mom in the moving in the retirement home, and then she drives all the way across the Midwest to Michigan to drop off stuff at her sister's house, and then she drives all the way back down here. And I'm going, wow. When she got back, it was like, well, you'll never do that again, right? No, I, that's, she, she goes, when can I go do it again? And I'm going, are you serious? You want to do that again? I drove that road route one time with my son Daniel and uh, David, and it was about six or seven years ago. And Daniel and David and I and Heidi drove that route. It was like 26 hours in northwest Iowa. We said, Heidi, we love you. We love Iowa. We love your family. But we will never drive this ever again, you know. But she loved it. And one of the reasons why she loved it is because she, the whole way up to northwest Iowa, by herself driving up there, she was cranking worship and singing through the cornfields. Worshiping the Lord. It was a mountaintop time for her. That's what we need to be doing in our cars. Let's make our cars our sanctuary. Let's have worship going in our cars. In our homes, too. Worship. Seeking the things above. Setting our minds on things above. Let's have worship permeating our homes. That'll be a way that we can win spiritually. Because God's spirit inhabits the praises of his people. There's power in his presence through worship. And we need that not just at church. We need it in our homes, too. Need in our cars. I got one of those Alexas, you know? I'm going high tech at home too. And I walk in the house in the living room, Alexa, play Chris Tomlin. And she that does it right away. Ooh, whole home fills up with Chris Tomlin. Alexa, play passion. Ooh, we got worship playing in the whole home. It's awesome. We need to be filling our homes with worship. Amen. Seeking the things above, setting our minds on things above that will help us win. Now, going on. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Next principle for winning, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly bodies as dead to immorality, impurity. Now, go back. Immorality, what is that? It's pornea. It means all kinds of sexual activity outside of marriage. We're to be, we're, we're to be dead to that. Impurity, that's impurity in regards to uh, morals. Uh, it could be a little bit translated uncleanness. Passion, that's pathos in the Greek. It means lust and inordinate affections, that's passions. We're to be dead to that. Evil desires, evil desires, interesting. That could be literally translated longing for things that are forbidden, evil desires. Greed, that's covetousness, and a, a covetous to the point that you do things that are wrong to gain things that you're coveting. Also, idolatry, be dead to idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of false gods. Be dead to those things. For it's because of these things, notice verse 6, that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. In them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you put them all aside. Interesting, when it says put them all aside, it means this, disrobe yourself like from dirty clothes. Take those clothes off and put them, disrobe yourself of also anger, wrath, malice, slander, 
abusive speech that could be translated filthy communication from your mouth. And notice, don't lie to one another. You've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Here's the next principle. You want to win spiritually? You not only need to set your mind on things above, seek the things above, keep a spiritual eternal perspective and mindset, but also you want to win spiritually, there's certain things you've got to die to. You've got to die to it. And there's certain things you need to get out of your life just as you would take filthy clothes and get them, get them out, off of you. These are filthy clothes. What are some of the things again? Immorality. Sexual impurity. Shouldn't be in the life of a Christian. Uncleanness. You know, uncleanness. Immoral behavior that's unclean. Shouldn't be in the life of a Christian. Also, lying, anger, filthy communication, all these things we need to lay aside like they're dirty claws we're getting rid of. Shouldn't be in the life of the Christian. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, what does he say? Gouge it out. There's certain, what, you know, please be careful with that. Don't come next week with cut off hands and gouged eyes. That would be just like a bad horror movie or something. Don't do that. What Jesus is saying there is hyperbole. It's, it's, it's teaching through exaggeration. What he's saying there is get rid of stuff in your life that's immoral, impure, unclean, things that you shouldn't have yourself clothed with as a Christian. And he said be dead to those things. What does it mean to be dead? I've seen a lot of death. I've been in the ministry now for 33 years. I've done dozens of funerals. I've been at the bedside of people that have died right before my eyes a number of times. And what you notice, I've always noticed with death, is after that person dies, I could hug them, but they're not going to hug back. I could uh, give them a handshake or shake their hand, hand, and it doesn't shake back. So what does it mean to be dead to these immoral things? It means you don't respond to the stuff of the old life anymore. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And you start becoming less and less responsive to sin and immorality and uncleanness and all the garbage of this world, and you're dead to it. Now, does it mean you don't make mistakes anymore? No, you're still going to make mistakes. Not until you get to heaven are you going to be in your uh, resurrected <laughs> Christ-like state where you're gonna, the sin nature is gone. But here's what happens. Romans chapter 6 says we have a burial. The burial is we bury the old life and then we have a resurrection to a new life in Christ. And that's what baptism stands for, by the way. When you get baptized as a believer, you're, you're telling everybody, professing publicly, I'm dead to my old life, I buried that, and then when you come out of the water, what are you telling people? I'm resurrected, I have a new life in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. And so what we need to do is, if we're going to win spiritually, we need to be people that say, I'm dead to the old life, I'm going to live the new life for Christ. I'm getting this stuff out of my life that characterized my old life, and now I have a whole new life in Jesus. I'm going to live for that instead of the old life. I'm going to be dead to this stuff. I'm going to cut it out, and I'm going to live the new life in Christ. Because if any man is a creation, the old is gone, the new has come. You know, we've been doing this U-turn ministry for about 20 years now. It's amazing. We've seen hundreds of men go through our U-turn program, and we've seen hundreds of men change and live successful Christian lives now, and they're, 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 they're whole, totally different lives. You know what the key is to that? I've talked to Pastor Steve a number of times about it, and Pastor Steve has told me over and over again, the guys that are successful going through U-Turn for Christ, they get to a point in their life where they say, done, 
Done. No more. No more drugs. No more alcohol. No more immorality. I'm done. And there's a repentance, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction, and they're done. They're dead to their old life. They're sick and tired of that, of that stuff, and they're saying, I'm done. I'm repenting of that. We all need that. Doesn't, not just you turn, you turn. We all need that. We need to be people that repent of the old life and say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm dead to that. I have a whole new life in Christ. I'm putting off that other stuff, and I'm going to live for Christ. Now, that's the stuff we're supposed to put off. Let's look at the stuff we're supposed to clothe ourselves with now. What are we supposed to put on as Christians? Go to verse 10. It says, having put on the new self. That literally could be translated, and having dressed ourselves or clothed ourselves with the new self, who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So these are the clothes we're supposed to, as we go through this, these are clothes we're supposed to wear. A renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. By the way, what that's saying is if you're in Christ, there's no walls anymore between races. No walls. We, he said the same thing, Paul said in Galatians 3.28. He said, if any man is in Christ, he, he said this, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, there's neither Jew or Gentile. We're all one in Christ. The walls have come down. We're, we're all one in Christ is what it's saying. There's no distinction between different groups out there, socioeconomic, racial, there's no distinction. Red, yellow, black or white, they're all, what? Precious in God's sight. So here are the clothes we're supposed to be wearing. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on, literally translated, clothe yourselves or dress yourselves with a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever is a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on or dress yourselves with, what is it? The most important thing we're supposed to be clothed with. Love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Wow. Put off filthy clothes of the old life. Get rid of that. Repent. Don't let those things be in your life anymore. Change. Cut them out. But then also, disrobe yourself of that, but clothe yourself. Clothe yourself with compassion. Oh, every Christian should be clothed with compassion. Clothe yourself with kindness. Kindness is living out compassion. It's deeds of compassion. Humility, that's looking at others as more important than yourself. Clothe yourself with that, Christians. Gentleness, that's patience, or that's actually strength under control. That's gentleness. Patience, literally translated, long-suffering. You bear with other people in your patience. Forgiving. Every Christian should be dressed with forgiveness and forgiving others. Why? Because God forgave you. Also, dress yourself, it says, with love. Jesus said, greater love has no end than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. We are to be a loving people because we got a loving Savior. Amen? And not only that, Jesus said this. He said this. By this, all men will know you are my disciples because you go to Calvary Chapel. Is that what he said? No. By this, all men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And I don't know about you, 
But I go places, and when Christians have put off what they're supposed to put off, and they're clothed with what they're supposed to be clothed with, I could tell they're Christians before, even, before they even tell me they're Christians. I've been on airplanes, sitting next to somebody, and within five minutes, I know this person sitting next to me is a Christian by the way he's treating those around him and the stewardesses and everything else. I could tell that's a Christian because of the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the respect, the love that the, that person's clothed with. Have you had that experience? I've been in other countries. I've been in other countries, and right away after talking to this person on the street or whatever else, I'll say, that person's a Christian because they're clothed with forgiveness kindness, compassion, all these things we just looked at. They're clothed with these things. And you know what? You could tell a lot about a person by their clothes, can't you? I mean, just talk about physical clothes. Can't you tell a lot? I could tell if someone's from the country by the clothes they wear. I know you guys with the John Deere hats. Come on now. I could tell if someone, I lived in Southern California for 10 years. I could tell when I meet somebody from Southern California because the way they dress. It's crazy. But there's a certain vibe, a way someone dresses from Southern California. That person's from Southern California. I could tell. I could tell if someone's from big city, urban area, oftentimes by the way they dress. And they dress, I, I like country better than that anyways. But anyways, I mean, they wear those shoes and they have certain city kind of slicker sh shoes and clothes. I could tell by the way someone's dressed, where they're from and what they're about. I could tell. I could tell if someone likes golf by the way they dress. I can I'm right in that camp. But I could also tell when someone is a Christian by the way they're clothed spiritually. I could tell. Last Christmas, Heidi and I had the opportunity uh, with the family to go to Hawaii, and we had this Christmas vacation in Hawaii. It was awesome, and uh, one of my best friends lives over there and takes care of us, and, and it just makes a, a way for us to go over there and stuff. It's awesome. But we, were, we did something we never did before. We went on a whale-watching uh, thing. We saw like huge whales. It's crazy. But it was really crazy because I get seasick. And so all my kids are sitting there and they're watching the whales and their spouses and my wife, they're all kind of planned to watch the whales. And you know what Pastor John did? Pastor John just walked around so I wouldn't throw up on everybody. Seriously. Because I, I, I don't have sea legs at all. So I'm walking around, I'm trying to, trying to keep, keep my eyes from, uh, you know, getting uh, too fixed on this or that. I'm just walking around, and I'm trying not to get seasick. And then I finally said, man, I've, I've got to sit for a second. So I sat down to the, next to this couple, and this couple had two little kids, and they're on this whale-watching thing. And within two minutes, I could tell by their patience, I could tell by their love for their kids, I could tell by their respect, I could tell by their kids that they were Christians. I could just tell. They were clothed with these things we're talking about clothing yourselves with. And you know what? After I started talking to them a little bit, one of the first questions I always get asked, well, what do you do for a living back in, well, no, first question, where are you from? And I said, I'm from South Kakalaki. And I said, where are you from? And they go, we're from uh, Southern California. And then they asked me, well, what do you do for a living? <laughs> and I go, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a Calvary Chapel in Lexington, South Carolina. And they just shook their heads and go, are you serious? And I go, yeah, I am. And he goes, well, we go to Calvary Chapel, so-and-so city in Southern California. I'm going, are you, are you serious? 
And then they said, and 26 years ago, I walked the aisle in that Calvary Chapel, and I got saved, and then my wife got saved, and we're a Christian family now because of the Calvary Chapel in the city in Southern California. And I'm going, I knew it all along. You were dressed right. You had the clothes of Christ, and I could see it. And that's how we're supposed to be, church. We're clothing ourselves with these things so people could see it in our lives. Amen? Now, I'm going to give you four tools in closing today on how tools we can use to win spiritually. We've looked at three principles. Set your mind on things above. Seek the things above. Second principle we looked at, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Mortify those things. Get rid of them like a bunch of old filthy clothes, but also dress yourselves with these clothes of Christ. Now, let's get practical. Four tools. Four tools that will help you win in a spiritual race. Go, go back to the scripture. This is some good scripture right here. Go back to verse 15. If you're there, say amen. All right, here it is, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And church, be thankful. Here's the first thing. Here's the first tool I want to give you. When, you, when you're trying to make a decision, do this or don't do that. If you're trying to find a direction, go that direction or go this direction. Oftentimes, if you want to go the direction God wants you to go, you make the decision God wants you to make, you've got to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. The word rule there means arbitrate. It literally could be translated, be an umpire. You know what umpires do? Safe. Umpires do this, Out. And what, what, what should be happening is before you go in a direction, before you make a decision, especially if it's a big decision or big direction, pray about it. And then after you pray about it, let the peace of Christ rule, arbitrate, call it safe or out by that peace. My son John G. is in Greenville, and he's named after me John G. Happy the Fourth. And um, he called me a couple times in the last month or two because he's an engineer, and he's been with this engineering company for years now in, in Greenville. And he, there was this new startup company in Greenville that was courting him to leave the companies in and offer him a big raise to go to this other engineering company, and he didn't know what to do. So you know what Dad's counsel was? John G., pray about it, and then let the peace of Christ arbitrate, rule, and make your decision for you. That's a weapon we got, church. The weapon we have is as we pray about things, Christ will give us a peace to rule in our hearts to go this way or that way. And listen, what I told John G., I'll tell you too. Pray about directions and decisions and get peace. And if you don't get peace, don't go there. If you don't have peace of going in this direction, if you don't have peace about that decision, don't go there. Don't go against your peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Second tool we're given after that is let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. That's the second tool. Have a life where the word, right here, the word is richly dwelling within you. Oh, what does that mean? It means you have a life that's inundated by God's word. Look at, look at these fingers on here. This is how we inundate our life with God's Word. We've looked at this before. We, we need to be in a place where we're hearing God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. We need to be in a place where we're reading God's Word individually ourselves because Revelations 1-3 says, Blessed is he who reads and heeds the words of this book. We need to be in a place where we're studying God's Word. Studying is, is more than just reading. It's studying. 
And it says about the Bereans that they were noble-minded because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. We need to be a place where we're memorizing God's Word. We're taking some Scripture. We're memorizing it because God's Word will be a tool as we memorize it to win. Remember what Jesus did when he was being attacked by the devil. He said three different times with those temptations, it is written, it is written, it is written. He had those Scripture memorized. He used the Scripture in his battle against Satan, and he won. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping according to that word. That word of I treasure in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then lastly, we need to be, go back to the hand, we need to be people that meditate on God's word. Because Psalm 1, 2, and 3 says, blessed is the man who meditates on God's law day and night. It'll be like a tree planted by streams of waters, leaf will not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Amen? That's how we inundate our lives with God's word. And I tell you what, you want to win? You better be a person of the word. This is the sword of the spirit that will be a tool against the devil. It is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It will help you win. Why do we do so many Bible studies around here at Calvary Chapel? I mean, every night of the week, there's Bible studies here at Calvary Chapel. I mean, uh, Wednesday night, we have services, uh, Bible studies. Thursday night, we have women's Bible studies. Friday night, we have U-Turn for Christ Bible study. Saturday morning, we got men's breakfast Bible study. Sunday morning, we have, we have two services with Bible studies. Sunday afternoon, we have Bible study classes, and then there's small groups. Why do we do so many Bible studies around here? Why? Because I want you to win. I want you to have a successful Christian life. And you can only do it as you let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And as you do that, you're going to be equipped in righteousness. In church, you're going to win. 1 John 2, 14 talks about this. It talks about how, how do we overcome the evil one. 1 John 2, 14 says, I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who's been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you're strong. And why are they strong? Because the word of God abides in you, and you've, notice, you've overcome the evil one. Because the word of God abides in you. You're letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and you'll overcome the evil one, and you'll win. Now, next tool, after letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you, it says, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts, to God. He gets back to the Word and worship again, doesn't it? Next weapon here, again, talked about is being a person of worship. Notice the characteristics of worship, too. The different kinds of worship. Psalms. What are psalms? They're the Word of God. And one of the great things we could do in our worship, we do here oftentimes, is we sing back to God His Word. And His Word is powerful. When we sing back to God His Word, Scripture songs, like Psalms. We sing all the time Scripture from the Psalms and the words of the songs we sing. Also, it says we should, we're to worship with hymns. What are hymns? Hymns are, are songs that are rich in theology. It's another thing we should be incorporating in our worship is we should be singing back to God those things that ground us in what we believe, theology. But then there's also spiritual songs listed there. Spiritual songs are songs that are inspired by the Spirit and people like Chris Tomlin and other people hear from God and they're inspired by the Spirit and they're spiritual songs. Inspired. Interesting. This worship thing, it was, it's, it's a big part of our heritage as Calvary Chapel too. The very first contemporary Christian songs uh, that infiltrated the church in the late 60s, early 70s, 
all started with a group called Maranatha Music, and Maranatha Music was started at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, where the epicenter of the Jesus People movement was happening. And all this contemporary Christian music we have in the church today, it was started with Maranatha Music in Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Worship, big part of being successful and winning. We should be people of worship. First time I went to Calvary Chapel ever in Southern California. I wasn't a Calvary Chapel pastor yet, but I was hearing about it because I got in a prayer group with some other Calvary Chapel pastors, and they started roping me in. <laughs> they started sharing about Calvary Chapel with me, and I saw, man, birds of a feather flock together. I like what these guys are saying about God's Word. I like what they're saying about worship. I like the way they're spirit-filled, and they're on fire for Christ. And so they talked me into visiting Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, the very first Calvary Chapel up in Los Angeles, actually Costa Mesa, California. I'll never forget walking through the doors of Costa Mesa the first time on a Sunday night. Didn't have Sunday night services in the church I pastored, so I, I was on a mission to see what this Calvary Chapel was all about. I walked in the front doors, and you, know, you could just feel the Spirit of God as the worship began. It's powerful, very powerful. And to the point that you felt like I was, I was felt like I was being brought into the very throne room of God during that worship time. Powerful. And then I, I, I wasn't a back row Baptist. I went and sat in the front, and I was checking out this guy that was on the stage, Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel. That's back when they still had chairs up on the stage. And he was up there, and I noticed during the whole time of the worship time, he was entering in, in himself as the pastor. He had his hands raised, his eyes closed. You could just sense this man as a man of worship. And then he got up to teach, taught two whole chapters, I think from Proverbs that night, Two whole chapters, and it was like a fire hydrant was being unleashed on me by the power of his anointed teaching through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through two chapters of Proverbs. But one of the reasons why he has such powerful teaching is because he's a man of worship. And I could see that the very first time I met him and saw him. And that's how we're supposed to be, church. We want God's anointing and power in our lives. God's spirit inhabits the praises of his people. We need to be people that are singing spiritual songs, hymns, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. It's a part of the spirit-filled life. We need to be people of worship. Amen? All right, let's close it up now. Last thing, last tool. After worship, after being people of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, last thing, last tool. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God, the Father. Last thing, last thing you want to win spiritually, you want to have a successful Christian life, realize you represent the name of Jesus. Realize, whatever you do in word or deed, you're representing the name of Jesus Christ. Because 2 Corinthians 5 says we are ambassadors for Christ. What do ambassadors do? Ambassadors represent a king in a foreign land. We're in a foreign land. We're in this world. Our home is heaven, but we represent a king. It's Jesus. And so please remember, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it in the name and for the glory of the Jesus that we know and we serve. You know, I know a little bit about names because I'm named after somebody. I'm John G. Hoppy III. And I had the privilege of having a grandpa who I was named after that really poured into me. He lived almost 90 years old. And I remember every summer I'd go up to his lake house, even as a little kid from growing up. We'd go up three or four weeks. It was paradise. 
He had his house on a lake up in Wild Rose, Wisconsin, spring-fed, sand-bottom lake. It was the, my favorite place still to this day in the whole world. It's amazing. But part of the reason why it was such an amazing time every summer when we'd go up to Grandpa Hoppy's is because he would go on long country walks with me, and he would pour into me, and he'd, he'd remind me I was named after him. And, he'd, he'd, he, and, and I remember devotions after every single dinner we had at, at the lake place up there in Wild Rose, Wisconsin. He would just be pouring into me and other grandkids, the Word of God, planting seeds. But I remember a lot of walks with Grandpa Hoppy, and it was like he was trying to pass his legacy down to me, John G. Hoppy III. Now, you need to understand, um, there was 10 grandkids, so he poured into all the grandkids. But my dad had four sisters, and um, I had one sister, so the name stopped with me. It's the last hoppy, last hoppy male. And so I was important to him, and that's why I, my nickname became Chip. I don't know if you knew this or not, but all my family members call me Chip because I'm Chip off the old block. And so I remember as I was growing older, Grandpa Hoppy kept pouring into me, kept showing me that I represent his name. I better live in such a way, I represent his name. And then I got in my teenage years, and I got lost. And I got in with the wrong crowd. And uh, right before I got saved, about 16 years old, I remember Grandpa Hoppy was making his track from the house in Wisconsin down to Florida. And um, it was right before I got saved. And um, I was lost. I, I, don't know, I don't know about you guys, but before I came to Christ, I reached the zenith of lostness right before I got saved. I mean, I was lost, lost. And so Grandpa Hoppy stayed at our house because it was on the way back down to Florida for him where they had a place down in Florida. And uh, he stayed at our, our house in Chicago on a Friday night. And I was 16 years old and all my party friends called and I was out that Friday night. I had dinner with Grandpa Hoppy and Grandma Hoppy and my parents and then we went out and my buddies and I, and we, 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 I didn't get home till 3 o'clock in the morning. And I was partying, man. And that's just what I did before I got saved. And you know who, st who stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning waiting for me to come home? Grandpa Hoppy, John G. Hoppy Sr. Ooh, he wasn't too happy. He said, hey, Chip, go to bed now. We're going to go for a walk in the morning. And I said, oh, well, I, I crashed at 3 o'clock in the morning. He woke me up at 7 o'clock in the morning next morning. He's banging on my door. We're going for a walk. And I'll never forget it. Because he said, you know what? You were out till 3 o'clock in the morning. You're only 16 years old. And he was pretty street smart. And he goes, and I know what you're doing. And he said this. You need to remember, I'll never forget this. He said, nothing good happens after midnight. And then he also, he laid a trip on me. He said, and you remember that you're a hoppy and you need to stop this kind of stuff because nothing good happens after midnight. Right after that, within a couple months, I got saved. <laughs> and part of it was the conviction that he laid on me that morning, Saturday morning, in that walk. But then I remember, I got saved. I came to Christ. And I came to Christ that, that and then after that, he had another layover. After I came to Christ, I think it was the next fall after I got saved, he was stopping in at our house. And I, I, I was a Christian now. And then that, 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 that week that he stayed with us, we had a Young Life banquet, and I, I was encouraged to invite Grandpa Hoppy, who was a very successful real estate developer and, and business person, to come to our Young Life banquet. And then they asked me to be the person that gave the testimony of the Young Life banquet at the fundraising banquet. I'll never forget that. 
Because I was standing up on the stage, and I had never done public speaking my whole life. And I was like, whoa, like this, you know. There's, there's 100 plus people there, parents, everything else. And they asked me to share about how I'd come to Christ in the six months previous to that. And I did. And I'll never forget it. Because Grandpa Hoppy was sitting right out there in the audience. He was beaming. Because I'd finally gotten to the point where I was representing his name properly. Because he was a Christian. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. And you know what? That was important to me. But you know what's even more important to me right now? I represent someone else's name. I'm a Christ follower. And you are too if you're a Christian. And you should take note of the fact that whatever you do in word or deed, you represent the name of Jesus Christ. And so let's represent it well, church. Amen? Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and they too may glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus made it very clear that we're now the light of the world. And so as Christians, we gotta represent. We gotta represent. We gotta represent the name. And whatever we do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen? So what did we learn this morning? Three principles. How are we gonna be successful in this Christian life? Number one, Set your mind on things above. Seek the things above. Renew your mind through God's word and through worship. And be people that are citizens of heaven. Number two, put to deed, disrobe yourself of the deeds of the flesh. Get rid of the stuff you need to get rid of in your life that's not bringing glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Cut it out, gouge it out, take drastic measures, repent of those things, and you'll win. Number three, dress yourself, clothe yourself with these characteristics that we looked at today of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. Clothe yourself with those things. And then the four principles, well, let's go back, four, uh, four tools, excuse me. Let the peace of Christ, what? Rule in your heart. Decisions or directions, let them be dictated by making sure the peace of Christ is arbitrating that and saying that's good and that's bad, that's safe, that's out. Number two, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? And then be a person of worship. Be a person that's singing spiritual songs and hymns, singing and making melody of your heart to the Lord, not just at church, but all week long. And lastly, remember you represent. You represent a name, and the name is Jesus. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. God, thank you that your word equips us in righteousness, Lord. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, as we prayed earlier, and a light unto our path. Help us to be people, Lord, that are letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, God. Help us to be people that are setting our mind on the things above and not the things of this earth. Help us to be people that are seeking for us your kingdom and your righteousness so you can add all things unto us. Help us to be people, too, that are putting to death some things in our lives that are not representing Christ well. And if you're here this morning and there's some things that you need to repent of, hey, here's your opportunity. Just do it. Say, done. No more. No more abusive speech. No more sexual immorality. No more uncleanness. No more abusive uh, language. No more, whatever you need to repent of, anger, wrath, malice, no more. Mortify those things. Put them to death. Say, Done. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful, he's just. He'll cleanse you and purify you from all unrighteousness. So if you need to do that this morning, there's something you need to put to death. 
something you need to just repent of in your life, do that this morning. And God will forgive you and cleanse you, give you strength to get those things right. Father, I pray too that we would be people that on a daily basis are clothing ourselves with humility, hmm, compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. And most importantly, Lord, let us be people that are clothing ourselves with love, Lord. God, we're just noisy gongs or clanging cymbals if we don't have love. And so, Lord, would you pour your love into our lives and let us people, be people that walk in that love and clothe ourselves with that love, God? Father, I pray, too, that we be people that inundate our lives with your word. Help us to be people, Lord, that are letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, God. I pray, too, that we be people of worship, that we just love to come into your presence and give you glory, God. And Father, I pray, too, that we be people that realize we represent a name, and the name is Jesus. So even this week, Lord, help us to represent that name well. Help us to be people that are filled with your spirit, with the power of your spirit and the presence of Jesus. God, we're just a bunch of clay pots, but we have a treasure within us, and that treasure is Jesus. So help us to be people that are just shining forth your light this week into a dark world, God. And Father, again, I just thank you, Lord, that we have your word to instruct us in these things. Help us not to just be hearers of your word, God, but doers. Help us to be people that aren't just learning these things, but we're living them. And Lord, even this week, give us some opportunities to shine, shine into some darkness this week. And give us victories, Lord, this week in areas we need victory. Lord, I pray for anybody that needs a breakthrough this week, a victory in an area. I pray that you would be their strength, you would be their power, and you, you give them the ability to have some breakthroughs this week in areas they need to be successful in and win in. Lord, thank you that there's victory in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word and his spirit. Thank you for that, Lord. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.